lives for an A. And then we are told to take it down? Another lie! Another person wrote us over! And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema. And coming up on episode 100, I can't believe 100 episodes. Actually, I can believe it. That's uh, one of those things. I, I don't know. You ever notice that on um, social media? Someone posts about their kid, 25 years old. How did this happen? And sometimes you just want to respond, well, the earth goes around the sun every uh, 365 days, making it a complete solar year. Create 25 of those and, well, you get your answer. So, yeah, I can believe it's 100 episodes. Been doing this now for a little bit. And most of all, hoping you're enjoying it. So today, thought I would uh, steer over into a bit of a different direction, but keeping the theme of cinema, and that is uh, talking about my upcoming horror film, uh, a monster movie called Where the Scary Things Are. And the reason why I thought I would do this subject matter uh, today is because for episode 100, I'm going to have the uh, kids who starred in the film uh, be part of that episode as a special episode as we're looking at, it looks like, a, a fall release for this motion picture. So again, we're really excited about it. I'm very proud of the film. And I'm proud of uh, the film, most of all, for the circumstances that it was shot under. So for all of you listening that are independent filmmakers, if you go back now to the start of the pandemic in roughly March, February, March of 2020, uh, I was scheduled to make a horror film, a monster movie called Dark. That was the original title. And it was about um, some kids uh, who find a monster. Now, I'm taking off on the whole concept of The Goonies, Stand By Me, uh, those kind of 80s films, E.T., where always those good kids are caught up in something where they discover something odd or weird. As if you remember, of course, in The Goonies, they discovered Sloth. And in E.T., of course, they discovered the alien. Uh, Super 8, even, which is not an 80s film, but might as well have been. Uh, they, they discover an alien as well, a monster. And in Stand By Me, they're looking for a body. That, that kind of stuff. And it was always the, the same premise. So I want you to think about this for a moment. What if the asshole kids found sloth in the Goonies? What if the Goonies weren't the nice kids? What if they were... The Columbine kids. What if they were the really dark and really truly screwed in the head bad children? The kind that you read about and thank God yours is not like. And that was the starting premise for Dark. And I started getting things around. We were going to shoot it in the summer of 2020. And things were going along fine. And then we started getting rumblings of the pandemic and then things got worse and worse. And finally, we had a stock market crash. Uh, if you remember, I believe it was in March of 2020. And I had uh, investors lined up. They were going to put in a certain amount of money each. There were like 10 investors and they were ready to go. And then the market crashed. And about two days later, I heard from my contact who had rallied these uh, market investors together. And he said, and I quote, Harrison, this film is FUBAR, fucked up beyond all recognition. So it was over. The investors said they were not going to contribute to Dark. And uh, good luck. 
Look us up some other time when things are better. Now, for all of you who make independent films, you know, that's the death bell, right? That's it. So I was given professional advice also as well to say that uh, you might want to dust off your college degree because the indie film industry just might be over. It was a lot of doom and gloom in the the early days of this. There was no vaccine in sight. Nobody knew what we were doing. We had the whole mask issue. Everything was going on. No one knew what was happening. And most of all, the Hollywood industry came to a halt. Everything was paralyzed. Television shows went on hiatus. Uh, Movies stopped in mid-production and that was it and shut down. And basically the nation and probably most of the globe turned to streaming and Netflix for their entertainment. That's why we got the success of such a shitty documentary as Tiger King, glorifying such absolute trash. And that's another story all on its own. So I was given advice to say, well, listen, after this is over, the only ones who may be standing are the giant studios, and that indie filmmakers may go the way of the dinosaur. Now, at that time, of course, movie theaters were shut down and, uh, you know, AMC and Regal and, and a number of uh, theater chains were already starting to the rumblings of, of bankruptcy and shutting down. And of course, the media jumped right on everything. And I did a previous podcast episode on this with a sky is falling. Is this the end of the theatrical experiences? This is the end for theatrical movies. Will we not ever go back to the theater? You know, all those absolute black and white hysteria, hyperbole uh, kind of headlines, hyperbolic headlines, uh, just to get you to click to find that really there's not much substance to the article at all. We were basing such crazy assumptions on absolutely nothing. There was nothing to say that this was the end of the theatrical venue for for motion pictures. It was just ridiculous. You're the only one other than me who knows how to hold a camera. Besides, this one's gonna be big. Dude, you've been saying that for every video. Just get Mighty to hold the camera. Well, I don't wanna hold the camera. Hold the goddamn camera. Mighty's a watcher, not a doer. Prick. I refuse to say die. I was approached by one professional in the industry to say, you know, the real uh, chance that you have to stay alive in this is to make a short, a short film. And and to me, that made no sense. Uh, Again, for those of you who are making shorts, I understand and I totally get it. But from a financial investor's point of view, there is very little chance of a financial investor recouping anything that they put into a short subject film. Uh, Short subjects are mostly created as proof of concepts. They are to win awards and possibly set the stage to expand the short into a full feature length motion picture. So you you don't really have a lot of option for ROI, return on investment. And at the height of uh, the paralysis of this industry and the inability to even distribute, because distribute to whom? To where? Remember, the theaters are closed. How is an investor getting their money back? So I, I kind of balked at that. I was like, I, I guess, because the attitude was, the theory was, um, you get uh, a short that garners a bunch of awards. It's going to get attention for you. So when this pandemic finally ends, and it will, uh, then you'll be on top, I guess. But that really doesn't help me at this point, especially in keeping the lights on and the bills paid. And then about a week later, I got a call from a major company. 
and they said, what do you got? Because at this point in time, the industry is paralyzed. There is a sudden shortage of content. You can remember a lot of the shows went on hiatus and a lot of them that were to debut Stranger Things comes to mind immediately for season four. Well, it's not happening. So there is a dearth of content out there that needs to be filled. And uh, they came to me and I had just sold my uh, horror film, The Special, which many of you are familiar with. And they were so desperate, they said, can you unsell it? And I was like, no, it's done. Like the, the legal paperwork is finished. The contracts are done. We've walked down the aisle and we've said, I do. It's over. And they said, well, what else do you got? And Dark came to mind. And I said, well, I have this monster movie. And it's got some cool action in it, a great monster. Blah, 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 blah. I really pitched it. And they said, can you do it for this? And they gave me an amount. Well, you're in the middle of a pandemic. And nobody's working. So your answer is always, say it with me, yes. (laughs) Yes, I can do it. So I called my business partners, uh, Doug Henderson and Matt Neese. And Matt is my gifted cinematographer who did the uh, DP work for the uh, special. And I told them the situation and their answer was great. And that was, we're doing it. Let's do it. Now, here's your problem. Uh, you're getting a, a very low amount of money. It was it was lower than what the Wall Street investors were going to put in. And also, because of transportation shutdown, you really have no names. And how are you getting people here as well? And if you do, you can't do SAG because SAG has locked everything. So you have to work independently. And uh, that's what we did. We did bring on uh, COVID at that time, COVID supervisors and experts Uh, to fashion out uh, an insurance plan and most of all, a medical plan to keep people safe while shooting. Uh, The big thing was, is that 95% of the film is shot outside. So that was a huge help. And that really worked in our favor. I can say this, no one got sick. There were no issues and the film got made. You little boys making big boy smut with her and that camera. Wouldn't you like to know? This is private property, and this is closed until fall. You're trespassing. You know that, right? We didn't see any signs. <laughs> right, kid. I called the police or your parents. Which is it? Why don't you catch your breath first, fatso? <laughs> what a dick. So we decide we're going to go into production. And the thing is, you have a center cast that are all kids. They're all teenagers. How do you get them? Where do you go? You can't audition. You can't bring people into a cattle call audition and get people into a room. So we had to Zoom. We had to do video auditions online. And fortunately, I had a high school friend and her son, uh, Peter Cote, who is in the film. He plays Snack in Where the Scary Things Are. I'll talk about that title change coming up. And uh, he was one of the main uh, ensemble uh, personnel in a area high school's uh, theater department, an award-winning blue ribbon uh, high school and their theatrical dramatic department. And I called her up and I said, listen, I've seen your kid act. I've come to a couple of his plays. And uh, what do you think? Do you think he could find me some kids? And of course he's in it. And she said, oh, I think so. So she put him in touch with me. And uh, these were all juniors and seniors And before you know it, we had about 25 kids lined up for auditions. 
did them all online. I am a firm believer in face-to-face and that you need to be in a room with someone. And that's extremely, extremely important, but it just wasn't going to be. And most of all, these kids were scattered even into another county. So trying to travel over and get into rooms and how, what are you going to do to you know audition? I mean, you can, but the time is running out. So I had to go by the video auditions. Out of the 25, I weeded them down to the following kids. And that is Peter Cote, Selena Flansha, Oliver Givens, Riley Sullivan, Emma Lim, Quinn Fickus, and Asher Ruppert. Well, it started out great. Now everyone thinks it's fake. I mean, Ayla, that's the internet. People shit on everything. 10,000 views is pretty good. It was a good run. You wouldn't know a good run if it hit you in your fat ass. The views have died off. It's because of these haters. These losers. God, I hate people. These were the talented kids that I selected for my film Dark that would eventually become where the scary things are. Now let's talk about the title for a moment. So you get a cast and you find, you fill out all your other places. The thing is, the film was supposed to, its centerpiece was supposed to be in an abandoned power warehouse, which we had, we locked the location. But then when COVID hit, uh, we lost that location because our COI, our certificate of insurance, uh, they, the owners of the abandoned location would not accept it. So I had to lose the entire power station. That was supposed to be the kids' hangout. It was like their clubhouse. And they used to gather at this abandoned electrical power station near a hydroelectric dam. So I had to change that. And I looked around my area, and I found a terrific haunted uh, event, like a haunt, called Field of Screams. And if you go to www.fieldofscreams.com, you can find them. They're a top-rated national Halloween haunt. You come home right off the bus from now on. No field of screams, no docking station, no dockers. No more of that nonsense. Your mother and I would discuss what to do with you. What's there to discuss? That place is closed for the season. You keep trespassing there. You know that's a crime, right? The man shot at you, Max. Is any of this sinking in? Wait, you believe he shot at us? You know why? Because you stopped. Only a gun would make you idiots stop. Even before this movie, the place was stellar. I used to go through it uh, with friends and family, and it, just the production value, the, the quality of the sets, the makeup, the lighting. So I changed the location of what I called the docking station to Field of Screams, where the kids break in while the place is closed and it's off-season, where they hang out. And they choose one of the haunted houses uh, called the Den of Darkness. Uh, that's what it is in real life. So if you ever go to Field of Screams, whenever you're in Pennsylvania, you'll be right where we shot this movie in, in the, the kids' clubhouse. It's called the Den of Darkness. And uh, they called it the docking station. And the reason why is uh, these kids, uh, they do a thing called doxing, where they will blackmail people by posting private information publicly. But the kids are so out of touch, or it's a play on words where if you remember in the Goonies, they constantly said things wrong. 
and they would correct them. I don't know what Richard Donner's thing was with that. It, it was kind of like just this running gag where any one of the kids would mispronounce something and then they would be corrected. Even the mother in the opening of the film when she was like Dada, Data, and they're always like that. And then uh, Harak, Harry Carey instead of Harakiri, uh, that kind of stuff. Or Hari Krishna, I think she says. I'll commit Hari Krishna. It's Hari Kari, mom. Doxing became docking. And uh, even one of the adult characters admonishes his kid by saying, you can't even get that right. We also need to talk about this docking shit. What's there to talk about? Yes or no? You and your friends are blackmailing kids online with dirt you get on them. That's docking, right? You call yourselves the dockers? Can't even spell it right. So their new headquarters became Field of Screams. And the premise was these kids go there to hang out. And uh, while the, the place is closed, they, they trespass and it's all theirs during the off season. And it's where they discover something. And uh, I don't want to get too much into detail of what they discover. We'll talk about that more in episode 100. But these kids uh, find something on that property and it gets worse from there. Because here's the bottom line. They're not the nice kids. They don't really have a conscience. These are actually really nasty kids. And that is where this film went. The scary things are not the monsters. The kids are the monsters. The kids are the scary things. So fortunately, uh, I am part of the podcast network, uh, Strange Podcast Network, uh, with Ken Cruz of the podcast, Where the Scary Things Are. And I've always loved the title of his podcast. So I approached him and I said, listen, there are too many horror movies and thrillers, and I think even a Netflix series called Dark, and I got to get rid of it. So uh, I thought about changing the title. I l always loved Where the Wild Things Are, about a bad kid, right? He's rambunctious, Max, who ends up becoming the king of the monsters. And uh, I love Ken's take on the title of Where the Scary Things Are instead of Where the Wild Things Are. So I approached Ken and said, do you think we could work on something together here where I'll work your podcast uh, into the production where it's a podcast that the one kid played by Peter, his name is Snack in the movie, um, listens to a podcast called Where the Scary Things Are. And it has all kinds of weird, you know, between horror and supernatural content, uh, cryptoid stuff, all of that and missing persons. And this kid loves listening to this podcast late at night. So that's where we got the title from Ken Cruz's uh, Where the Scary Things Are, uh, which is a tribute to all the hard work that he and his entire staff do. So we had a great new title. We have a stellar cast. Now, it's funny. One of the producers in Los Angeles called me up when I finally got all these kids gathered up and I selected them and I sent their biographies and I sent their headshots and stuff. And this producer called me up on the very first day of filming before I was leaving the house uh, to head to set. And this producer says, Harrison, none of these kids has a goddamn IMDB. And my response was, this is the best we're going to get under these circumstances. And trust me, they will be great. And I'm excited for people to see this film and especially these kids who will stand out. They are the anti-goonies for sure. So we went forward in making Where the Scary Things Are, changing the title over from dark to that. We did it in 19 days. We shot the film in 19 days, 
wrapping just after, I'm sorry, just before the 4th of July. As I've said to all of you so many times, you have to go forward. You cannot have analysis paralysis. You've got to make a move. John Carpenter said this with Halloween, and he has said this so many times to other indie uh, filmmakers, you know, people that want to be indie filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers, and that is you grab a camera and you get out there and you do it, even when the odds are against you. Now, I wish I had Dean Cundy to grab, but that was before even Dean Cundy was Dean Cundy, with, even with Halloween. And that is why I have told you so many times to beat cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, you need to have a terrific crew because the crew will make anything look great. And I have been lucky to have the crew that comes along with Everything's Fire and Bold Creative Media. And that is with Doug Henderson and Matt Neese because they are committed to quality. And working with them, we're about solutions. So you're coming together with a very small crew because of COVID. You are limited in your resources. You're limited in your finances. You're even limited in your location because we had to change the entire location. But the thing is, it worked. It was a wonderful, happy accident because Field of Screams was wonderful. It gave us production value that even an abandoned powerhouse could not give us. We, we couldn't say enough about Field of Screams. So please, when you get the chance, visit them, go online, get tickets and come out and see them. They're, they're totally worth it. But in the meantime, aside from a great set, you have to rely on your own resources. Otherwise, you can just go forward, go ahead, and make shit. And we didn't want to make shit. We wanted to make a great movie. So even the kids that we chose, they were the best of the best. One of them happens to be my neighbor. And he's a kid who acted locally in theater and dinner theater and at a local uh, public theater. And the only reason I knew is because his father on a walk one time while walking the dog said, oh yeah, my kid acts. He said, I've seen your films just so you know, if you ever want to use them one day. Well, I paid it forward and I did. And that is the magic of indie filmmaking. And that is what a studio film can't do. So while the industry was paralyzed, stagnated, and basically shut down, a lot of others on the indie front we're moving forward and trying to get things made because the bottom line is we need to stay alive. You can't sit around and wring your hands and go, why me? Why me? And making a short, hey, maybe that's great for some, but it's not going to help pay my bills and keep the lights on. I had to do something. So I had a great script. I then had a new great title and I found some really great kids and I already had a great crew in place. When you read the credits on the IMDb, look at those people. Reliable, professional, creative, punctual, and wonderful. All of them. And I can't say enough about that as an indie film director, writer, and producer. I couldn't have done Where the Scary Things Are without them. You can gather up all the greatest kids and all the greatest actors all you want, but that doesn't mean it's going to turn out if you don't have a great camera crew, sound, all of it. And they all came up and they all came together. And we went into this with the goal of making a terrific motion picture. Analysis paralysis. It sounds all catchy and all of that. And it's easy for me to sit here on the other end of a microphone talking to you. But screenwriters, 
directors, producers, always think about your next move and always think about the worst case scenario. And again, you can go forward and you can make garbage. They might throw some money at you just to make shit. For example, uh, even the Wall Street investors before the market crash said, we don't really care about the script. You have a monster. Do you have uh, nudity? Do you have sex? And do you have blood? Well, the answer is, yeah, we, we have some nudity. Um, we have blood, but that shouldn't be the focus of what we're doing. We also have a great story. And that's what I'm committed to. I'm known on this podcast and on Twitter for having really my own brand of things. I just wish Twitter would recognize that since part of their qualification for that illustrious blue check mark and verification is that you have uh, an independent voice on Twitter. I certainly like to think I do, but they apparently do not. But in the meantime, you have to push forward on a project that also is going to deliver quality. And we did. These kids, get to know them. You'll be seeing more of them for sure. In fact, in my Christmas film that I just wrapped, I brought back several of them in this Christmas film with Sean Patrick Flannery. The goal is always to pay it forward. As I've said on this podcast a number of times, I had no wealthy parents to rent out movie theaters for me and indulge my hobby. I wanted to make movies since I was eight years old when my mother took me to Jaws. And after I walked out, I knew that was the movie that made me want to make movies. And I stuck with it. It wasn't like I want to be an archaeologist one day and a firefighter the next week. It wasn't like that at all. From eight years old on, I wanted to write stories and I wanted to make movies. And now I'm doing it. But it didn't come with any type of privilege in the way of, well, here's a Rolodex full of industry contacts. Here's a bankroll for you. Uh, Daddy will finance things for you. Mommy will finance things for you. No. I started, as you can hear in my one episode, I should have listened to Lee. Uh, I started with a silent Super 8 motion picture camera, film camera. I edited with scissors. I cut film with scissors and I spliced with scotch tape. So, and I did my lasers uh, by hand with needles. That is how I started not having theaters rented out to show my work, I would show my work uh, on an old projector that used to grind when you put it in reverse. And if it held too long, it would burn your film up in the frame in, in the gate. So that's what I had to deal with. And believe me, it's not walking uphill both ways in snow. I'm, I'm sure a number of you are sitting there nodding going, yep, I've been there shooting my stuff on crappy VHS and thinking you had the greatest stuff in the world. But my point is, I worked my way up and I worked my way toward the fields, which was my first motion picture. And I had no help on the way. I didn't go to school for it. I didn't have anybody guiding me. I learned. I devoured all I could through magazines, through reading, through books, watching interviews, behind the scenes, and learning and seeing how things were done. My first book that I ever bought in the Scholastic Book Club was Dick Smith's How to Do Special Effects Makeup Book. That's my first book that I ever bought, and I was in fourth grade. So I bought that with my own money because I had to have that book, and I had to learn how this stuff was done. So a lot of you out there can relate to this, and this gives you the energy, the power, and the resources for when a disaster hits, 
like COVID-19, it allows you to move and avoid analysis paralysis. You can move quickly and leanly, and you can get things done and move between the cracks. While the giant lumbering studio machines grind to a halt, you can be the mouse running through the gears of the clockwork or through the, the engine of the steam engine, the locomotive that's come to a halt. And that's exactly the analogy I like to use uh, for making where the scary things are. We ran between the gears and through the cracks to get it done. In episode 100, I'm going to bring the kids on. And I'm going to try to bring Ken Cruz and his group into this for episode 100 to celebrate 100 episodes of cinema. Because these are people that are out there working their butts off to provide quality where they could just do a knockoff show and just get something out. And even though they have the means to do better, they just don't want to. That's not the case with these people. That's the same for Doug Henderson and Matt Neese of Everything's Fire and Bold Creative Media. These kids are known as the Dockers. And I think you're going to enjoy them. And I don't think you're going to forget them after this movie comes out. So I'm looking forward to episode 100. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to episode 100 coming your way very, very soon. Thank you.